You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, well, good morning, Midtown family. Uh, so glad that you guys made uh, this morning a priority, got out in the very cold and wet weather and during the holiday season to join us for worship. Uh, trust that God's going to bless us. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm the associate pastor or executive pastor here at Midtown. I would love to meet you if I haven't met you yet. would love to meet you afterward. Or you can fill out that connection card, and I'll, I'll contact you this week. I'd love to even get coffee or get together with you and get to know you. I think we have a lot of people here that we're visiting to see Melanie, so that's fun. So we welcome you guys who've come to be a part of her life and celebrate this day uh, with her as well. I have two quick kind of family announcements before we get started. The first is that um, our college ministry, Midtown College, is actually going to be participating in a live stream of Passion, the Passion Conference that's taking place. So they're going to be live streaming here in Austin. And so from Wednesday to Friday, I would really just encourage us to be mindful of them and pray for them. It's always a great opportunity to grow in their faith and also deepen the community of friendships that they have. And so let's remember to pray for them this week as they uh, seek God together um, through the live stream. And second uh, family thing is I have an uh, obligation to, to um, recognize Rob Walton as our Fantasy Football League winner, so please don't clap. Please don't clap. I said it was an obligation, so he's actually the back-to-back champ, so now we actually all really don't like him. And point number four, I think, today is on humility, so I want you to you know, listen pretty well to that, Rob. Just keep your ears open to point number four today. All right. So it is uh, New Year's Eve uh, tomorrow, and you see we're kind of doing a little bit of a theme with this this week and next week, doing a little bit of a theme with uh, New Year's and the resolutions. One of the things I like to do uh, every year is look up, like, what were some of the funniest resolutions that people tweeted or posted and stuff like that. So you want to hear some good ones from last year? Of course you do. So here we go. I resolve to work on my low self-esteem, but I don't think I can do it. I resolve to save some money for a rainy day. That way I can shop online instead of having to go out in the actual store. I resolve to be more assertive. Is that okay with you guys? Uh, I resolve to overcome my OCD. I resolve to overcome my OCD. I resolve to overcome my OCD. I resolve to love myself like Kanye loves himself. (laughs) That's a good one. I resolve to assume full responsibility for all of my actions except the ones that someone else's fault. And then, I resolve no longer to waste my time reliving the past. Instead, I'll spend it worrying about the future. There you go. Good good resolution. So, I don't know if you're like a resolution person or not. It doesn't really matter um, as far as this title of the sermons that we're doing. But we're starting just a short two-week series on um, this whole virtuous uh, resolutions. We thought it'd be good for two reasons. One, because we do know that for many people, it is like a time of reflection that we have, you know, at the end of the year, maybe to reflect back on the past and and think about maybe some resolutions or at least some changes. And most often, those changes have something to do with like becoming a better person. And so we said, well, what if this year we just made it a goal that we would become a more virtuous person? And we're looking really at, uh, if you read the Gospels or you read um, the letters that Paul wrote to churches, one of the things that he does often is in these books where he's writing the churches, he would give them like a list of virtues. And these virtues were things that he wanted the church to be growing in so they could better love and care for each other as a family of believers. And so we're going to look at those virtues. And our real hope is that somewhere along the line in this week and next week, that maybe one or two of these virtues would stick out to you and that you would have like, like we all need to have just the humility, humility to look at one of them and say, you know what, 
that is an area that I could actually be growing in. That's one of the virtues that I want to make a prayer goal for this next year. And so that's really the aim, the real, real strict like application is we're hoping during this week and next week, one or two of these things that stand out and you would say, that's an area that I really want to grow in this next year. So that's one of the reasons we're doing it. The other reason that we're doing uh, this series is it really fits with our church-wide goal. If you've been with us very long, you know that we've said that this year we set a goal to grow in prayer and care. So every summer, the staff and the elders kind of spend an extensive time talking and praying and thinking and asking God, like, what is a, what is a goal that we have for this next year? And we, we actually write like a yearly goal that goes from September through August. And this year we said the goal is that we want to grow in prayer and care. Because this whole vision that we have as a church, our vision is to see the day when every man, woman, and child in Austin would hear the gospel from someone who loves them. We recognize that's like extremely difficult. And we could feel it. That, that, that's last year people were getting burned and burdened and kind of burnt out even trying to pursue that goal. And so what we said is next year the thing that we need to do most would be to grow in prayer, meaning let's lean into God because we can't do this without Him, so let's pray. But we also said we also need to grow in care for each other. Because one of the things we need, if we're going to accomplish this vision, we need to support each other and help each other. And so this really fits. In, in November, we did a, a couple-week series on prayer. These are basically our two-week series on this idea of care, all right? So we've got virtuous resolutions. We're hoping that we would all decide to grow. And here's why it's so important, because relationships are kind of hard, aren't they? I know uh, I've heard some stories even this morning about families and, and that people had times with their families um, over Christmas. And relationships can be difficult, right? We hurt each other. We hurt people, and people hurt us. And so these virtues Paul would use to say, hey, here's some ways that you can grow. And he even assumed that people were going to get hurt, but you're going to see by these, these virtues that they list, it's like an assumption that these are areas that we need to grow in. Uh, I heard this funny quote one time that uh, someone once said, to dwell with saints of old, uh, to dwell above with saints of old, to me that will be glory, but to dwell below with saints I know, well, that's a different story, right? It's, it's hard. It's hard. And even within the Christian community, it's hard. So don't, don't raise your hand and do not point at all right now. But how many of you have been hurt by another fellow believer? Like hurt by a fellow believer. How many of you uh, have hurt a fellow believer, right? We've all done it. We've been the ones that have been hurt. We've hurt other people. And relationships are hard, and that's why Paul would write this to these churches and give them these lists. And so we're going to look at one in, in Colossians, and the next week we're going to look at one in Romans 12 and see, like, what it is that he's commending that they would do so they could grow in their love and care for one another. Like, I want to start with this premise, though. You, maybe you've heard this phrase. Have you ever heard the phrase, like, hurt people hurt people? Like, when, when people hurt you, it's safe to just take a step back and assume that they've probably got some hurt in their past, too. And so hurt people do hurt people. I believe that that's true. But I'd like to kind of turn that phrase on its head and say the opposite is equally true, that loved people love people. Like loved people love people. If you've experienced the love of God in your life, if you've experienced the love of fellow believers who've cared for you and loved you well, you grow in your capacity and your ability to love others as well. And so with all of these virtues, you're going to see that even the scripture we, we look at today, it says all these virtues, they, they tie themselves up in love. So it's ultimately about how can we grow in our capacity to love one another? But I want to make the point that loved people love people. And so it starts first with experiencing the love of God. For you to grow in these virtues in any of them, you first have to experience the love of God. Second, you have to experience this love from others. In fact, the way that we usually, God's favorite way to help us experience his love is through other people. And so when you experience love from other people, 
Then it becomes the third phase where now you are growing in love because you've experienced it from God, you've experienced it from others, and now you have more to give. And so with all these virtues, I'm gonna argue that, that loved people love people. And so we wanna grow to be a community that loves. Let's look at the scripture together. I'll pray a short prayer and then we'll jump in. Scriptures in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and bear with each other. Forgive one another any grievance you have against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's take a minute to pray that God would open our hearts. God, we do ask that you'd open our hearts, that you'd speak to us in a gentle but clear way and show us which of these virtues would be an area of growth for us in this coming year, something that we could make somewhat of a resolution, even if we don't call it that. Just, just admit that, hey, here's an area that I want to grow in the coming year. And mostly, God, we pray that we would experience your love today. And as we do, we would be grow in our capacity to live these virtues out. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have to begin with the very first words, right? The very first words of that verse are were real simple. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So where do you start? Before you even start growing in these virtues, you have to recognize something that you yourself have been God's chosen people, that you're holy and dearly loved by God. And only when you experience God's love are you then able to even take a step anywhere toward these virtues that's going to list. So we have to start with this. And if you read uh, much of the New Testament, particularly Paul's letters, you know that this is like something that he always does, that he'll write a letter and he'll just front load it with truth. And there's no, no instruction, no commands, no direction, but it's just truth after truth, mostly about that we have a God that loves us and mostly about our identity in him, that we've been adopted as his sons, his daughters, we've been brought into his family. And all those truths then are supposed to lead us where then he'll like back into the books that he writes, the back into the books he'd give instruction, but all the instruction comes from what he's told us already was true of us. And what he's reminding them of here before he gives them any instruction is you're dearly loved. You're loved by God. And if we're going to grow in these virtues, we have to start by beginning to believe and to experience the love of God in our lives. Now, I don't know if, if you're like me, but, but for me personally, the love of God has been something that's, that's been really hard for me to believe for me. Um, that's just kind of a struggle that I have. Like, I, I believe that God loves everyone, so I'm part of everyone, so he loves me. <laughs> but God's love for me is so much deeper than that. He loves me, Justin Christopher, individually, with all the awkward things that he knows about me. And I have to know and believe that. But it's always been a struggle for me. Uh, back in my uh, 20s, in the 1990s, I was fortunate enough to have a 70-year-old mentor, this guy that I met with every week. We'd look at Scripture together, and he'd pour into my life and, and help disciple me. And I remember a very distinct occasion. It was a period of my time of my life where I was struggling a little bit with depression and definitely doubting God's love for me. And we're reading a psalm at his little kitchen table, this sweet 70-year-old man, and, and we're reading this psalm. It's about God's love, and, and I'm probably like trying to downplay it a bit. And he looks at me, so sweet, just looks me right in the eyes and says, Justin, every time I talk about God's love, you try to burst my bubble. And I just went, oh, you could just feel the conviction. And I knew that God loved me and I had been resisting it. And I, I just started weeping. And he prayed for me, he ministered to me, and he took me to John chapter 15, where Jesus told his, his uh, followers, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And he said, Justin, the Father and Jesus, his eternal love relationship, Jesus is saying, I love you the same way. 
And that was one among many <laughs> experiences of God's love that, that I needed, that I constantly need, that we all need to be able to grow in our capacity to love others. Paul knew this. That's why he started this way. And I think one of the things that would be, we would be good to do is to try to position ourselves and posture ourselves to be able to receive and experience God's love. And I know for me, I've had to make that like a steady habit and practice some things that, that keep me where I'm feeling and experiencing God's love for me. And so I have a few things that I just recommend real quick here at the start. First would be to study. Second would be worship. Third would be confession. And fourth would be relationships. Real briefly on these things, like if you want to make sure that you're postured to receive God's love, I'd recommend study. Uh, there's a reason why Paul front loads his books <laughs> with truth, because we have to meditate on it. We have to get this into our hearts that we, we don't sway it just by feelings that think that, that in lies that would tell us that God thinks differently of us. But we have to read and study, and I would, I'd commend like memorizing a verse or two, something that will help you as you study, get convinced that God loves you. Second would be worship. There's something unique about worship and singing songs and listening to music, that music has a way to get truths from our head to our heart, Right? And so I would say we needed to have a habit of either listening to or singing along with worship and coming on Sundays to worship and give us a chance to experience God's love like we just sang about. Third, I would say, is confession. And this one's maybe the most ironic, but we tend to, if you're like me, the, the, way, the reason that you would think that maybe God doesn't love you is because you've wandered from him. Things that you've either done or things that you've left undone. And so you start to carry around a guilt and a shame. You think you have to work your way back to God when that's not at all how it works. The irony is when you come to God and you come to your brothers and sisters and you confess how you've fallen short, that that in itself is the experience that you can have to receive God's love, to see his grace and to extend it from God or and or from your brothers and sisters toward you. Confession gives us a regular opportunity to experience God's love. And fourth is Relationships. Well, I've already made the point that, that we experience God's love primarily through other people. Therefore, we have to make every effort to build relationships with other fellow believers. That's why we need to be involved in our midtown communities and our small groups and our home groups and get connected in this church and not stay outside the fringe because it's the relationships that allow you to actually experience God's love as others love you. So let's move into this time to think about these virtues. Be reminded that we cannot do these virtues unless we first experience God's love. That's where it starts. Now we move to how we can experience God's love through others by practicing these virtues. And again, I would hope that as we walk through these just one by one that you might think, yeah, here's the one that I wanna grow in in this, this coming year. The first is compassion. It says compassion, which really means like a, a heartfelt emotion. Uh, the Greek word there actually has kind of a connotation of like from the gut, like there's like a, a, a feeling, an intensity that you have where you're sharing in someone else's pain or even sharing in someone else's joy. And the opposite of compassion would be like being cold or, or heartless or neglect. So what does compassion look like? It looks like this feeling, what someone else is feeling when they're going through a hard time. Maybe it's like an illness, compassion with an illness or a disability feeling for those that have physical or emotional or spiritual wounds of some sort. Maybe someone's going through a trial or uh, some sort of tribulation, a financial need or a career being threatened or a family conflict, and you feel compassion for those people. Or maybe it's compassion because of grief or loss that someone has actually lost a loved one or maybe lost a dream or a career or a relationship's been broken to feel the pain that our brothers and sisters feel. Or maybe it's stress and anxiety, it's the, the work pressure that people are under or the difficulty they're having in their marriage or with their kids and you feel with them compassion. That's what we're supposed to have toward one another. 
that we walk so close to each other that we're actually willing to enter someone's pain and be a part of their story so that we begin to actually feel what they feel. And we're able to do this. We're able to have compassion because God is the one who has compassion on us. In Psalm 103, we read this of God's compassion on us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed and he remembers that we are dust. So God's compassion for us is manifest, is demonstrated, and that he remembers how we are formed. He knows that we're weak. He knows where we've been hurt. He knows the wounds that we have. He relates and he doesn't judge us, but he has compassion toward us and where we're at. One of the ways I think that we can best demonstrate compassion toward one another in the body of Christ is to, to recognize people's backstory. You don't know the story behind the story that makes them who they are, the wounds or the hurts, the pain or the thing that make them act or react in the way that they do. And to have compassion would be that I want to know more of your life and what's going on in you that I can feel what you feel. So people will experience God's compassion through our compassion that we give to one another. God has compassion on us. When we have compassion on each other, we experience God's compassion. And then what does that do? It allows those that have received that compassion to experience it and then be more free to give compassion to others because loved people love people. Loved people love people. Second is kindness. Uh, kindness means just like a benevolent action. It means doing something nice for someone to benefit them. Uh, it's the opposite of being rude or being demanding. The real difference is between wanting something from someone or wanting uh, to give something to someone. That's kindness. Uh, kindness looks like doing nice and beneficial things for one another, responding in a beneficial way with our words and with our deeds. So you think about kindness with your words. One of the easiest ways that we can show kindness is with our words. It would be things like giving a compliment or giving an encouraging word to someone. I like you. Yeah, great job. Thank you. Uh, how can I help? You're great. These are kindness that we can express with our word or just even letting someone know that you're thinking about them to, to send them a random text or to let them know that you've been praying for them to stick a post-it note on there. That's kindness where you're seeking the benefit of the other people around you or with our deeds to, to give someone money or to meet a need, to buy a meal, to offer hospitality. That's kindness. And we're supposed to express that kindness to one another in the body of Christ, but we're able to do so because we, when we reflect on how God has been kind to us, in Romans, we read this about God's kindness. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is demonstrated to us and that while we continue to reject him and walk away from him time and time again, he still gives us good things. He still blesses us. He still reaches out to us. He's so kind to us. And that kindness is meant to lead us back to him to say, I don't deserve all this. And God, you're so loving. You're, you're killing me with your kindness. I'm coming back to you. We're supposed to have that same kindness toward one another. And then when we do express that kind of kindness to people, what happens? The same thing happens. They experience God's kindness. And as they experience God, God's kindness and our kindness to them, then they grow in their capacity to be kind because loved people love people. So we need to grow in kindness. Third, especially for you, Rob, humility. <laughs> humility. Um, it really it means lowliness of mind. Really, it doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. So it doesn't mean like you think that you're scum or something like you think less of yourself. It means that you actually think of yourself less because your mind and your heart are constantly outwardly thinking about other people more than you think about your own interests. Humility looks like uh, putting emotion, other people's emotional, physical, spiritual needs above your own. 
It's not selfishly demanding that all your needs get met. It's looking at others and trying to meet the needs of those around you. That's true humility. Humility looks like this. It looks like listening to others rather than dominating a conversation, asking questions and shifting the focus to someone else. It means admitting when you're wrong, being willing to confess when you've hurt someone. Humility means considering the other person's side of an argument when you're in a fight, to really take a step back and say, I, I want to try to see your side of this. Humility is praising and, and complimenting others, recognizing people, giving them the attention. And humility is, in everything, going last, like being the last one in a conversation, the last one in a meal, the last one in traffic. Well, maybe not traffic. You can skip that one. But we can grow to be humble because God was humble for us. A very famous uh, passage in Philippians 2, here's what Paul used to, uh, to describe the humility of Christ. Your relationships with one another have the same mindset as that of, of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The humility of, of the God had to come and live in humanity to enter our world and though he was God, to put aside his rights to be God. But why? Because humility is thinking of others beyond yourself, which is exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He was thinking of others and not himself. We can experience the humility of God so that our hearts can grow, that we can then give others humility and be humble before others. And when they experience the humility of Christ through the way that we are humble before them, it helps us all grow in our capacity to live humbly before one another because love people love people. From humility, it goes to gentleness. Gentleness uh, means fitful, fitful caring. It's the idea of providing the appropriate type of care that's needed. Uh, the opposite of gentleness would be harshness or bullying. It's, it's the idea of like gentleness is like how you would carry something delicate, right? You carry a bowling ball differently than you carry a, a little piece of porcelain, right? It's the whole idea of gentleness is the appropriate amount of care for the people in your lives. That's what gentleness looks like. It means that we honor one another and we treat each other with care because what we have in our hands that we're being gentle to is a person, an image of God. They're valuable. So what is kindness or what is gentleness? Gentleness is the way that we act toward our kids when, when they need discipline. It's our words, it's our tone, it's our demeanor as we relate to young kids. It's the tone of our voices when we're in a disagreement with our husband or wife, a roommate. Gentleness is our reactions uh, to people when we're under a great amount of stress at our job or in our family or any situation in your life, working on a home project together. It's gentleness in how we respond. It's the capacity to bring down the temperature in a conversation that gets heated. That's gentleness. And gentleness is actually also how we speak when we're speaking to others about our faith. Constantly you see that in Scripture where we're talking about talking to people who are outside of our faith and trying to tell them about God. It always says do it with gentleness and respect because you're treating a person as a human being and you're caring for them as you're telling them about your faith. Gentleness. So we're able to be gentle because God has been gentle with us. I love what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm humble at heart, 
and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus wasn't like the religious leaders of that day who would, who would heap burdens on people and make things difficult for them and add rules upon rules to them. He was gentle and he invited people to come to him no matter where they were. And even when he said hard things to them, which he did, he always did so in a way that was gentle, that they could be received because they knew, even though it was hard what they heard, they knew it would come from a place of love because Jesus was gentle. When we experience the gentleness of Jesus, we grow in our capacity to be gentle with one another. And then when we treat others with gentleness, what happens? They're then able to experience God's gentleness, our gentleness, and then give gentleness to others because loved people love people. Patience, my least favorite one. God, give me patience, but hurry. That's like one of my prayers. Patience means long-suffering. Um, it's, the, it's a calm, steady response in the, in the face of provocation. It means bearing with one another's differences, bearing with one another's faults. The opposite would be to be angry or to be easily irritated. Patience looks like not getting easily angry, not, not getting easily irritated. In fact, it's overlooking people's offenses. What does patience look like? It, it looks like uh, you remembering that your kids are just kids and they're unable to control their emotions sometimes. It's patience uh, to know people's backstories and know what's really the hurt behind the hurt or the pain behind the pain in their lives so that you can be patient with them. Patience is giving people the benefit of the doubt, uh, assuming the best in people, not attributing motives to every act, active, or every act that you see. It's assuming the best in people. It's not getting angry while having to wait for anything or anyone. Patience is when you recognize someone else's uh, spiritual immaturity, but you still, as a friend, help them and grow with them and are hopeful to see them grow. We can practice patience because God has been so patient with us. In 2 Peter 3, Peter writes this, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. God is so patient with us. He sees time totally different than we do. And he's so patient with the world that he allows all this evil and chaos that goes on in the world. He's waiting patiently so that more people might come to repentance. He's the same with us, so patient with us, not treating us as our sins deserve. As we experience God's patience toward us, we can grow in our capacity to show patience toward others. When others receive God's patience and our patience, they're then able to be patient with others as well because loved people love people. And finally, forgiveness. Forgiveness means the releasing of debts. It means that we're not going to hold someone's sins against them. It's the opposite of bitterness where you hold a grudge or the opposite of malice where you're wishing harm upon someone or evil upon them for what they've done to you. Forgiveness looks like extending grace to those who've hurt you, the things that they've done or the things that they've left undone. It's the grace to continue a relationship with someone without holding any anger or bitterness toward them. What does forgiveness look like in the body? Forgiveness should look like us acknowledging when we've hurt someone and caused someone grief or sorrow and asking for forgiveness. Forgiveness looks like listening to the way that someone was hurt by what we did and not blaming them or getting defensive, but letting them express how we've hurt them. Forgiveness for married couples or roommates is refusing to go to bed angry. Forgiveness is not harboring bitterness against each other, but wanting the very best for everyone. And forgiveness looks like refusing to cut off relationships or distance ourselves from those who've been hurt 
are those who have hurt us. Like that's forgiveness. And why are we able, or why should we forgive? It's because God has forgiven us so much. You could point to thousands of scriptures, but in Psalm 103, the author writes it this way. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He's not out to repay us, but rather he's forgiven, he's forgotten them, and he's removed them so that he could be in relationship with us again. One time the disciples were with Jesus and they were asking him like, well, how many times should we forgive someone when they do this? Should we maybe do it seven times? And another one got kind of bold and said, well, what about 70 times? And Jesus says, no, you need to do it 70 times seven. Like you need to forgive someone every single time that they come back to you. And he went on to tell them a story about a really, uh, a man that had a, a huge debt to a wealthy man. He owed this guy tons of money, millions of dollars. And he goes to that guy and says, hey, will you please forgive me of this million dollars? The, the, the gracious and forgiving man whom he owed said, yes, I forgive you all of your debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. Well, that guy then goes and remembers that someone else owes him $2. And then he goes to that guy that owes him $2 and says, you better give me my $2. The guy that owes $2 says, please forgive me. Just, can you just forgive this $2 debt? And he says, no, and he throws him in jail. Well, when the rich man hears about what this guy did, he comes back to him and confronts him and says, how could you, who've been forgiven all of this debt, not extend forgiveness to someone else? Like, that's the forgiveness that we're to have with one another. It's an example of how we're supposed to look upon all that Christ has done and all that God has forgiven us from. And that's the kind of forgiveness that we should extend to each other. And as we do, others experience forgiveness. And when they experience forgiveness, they're then able to forgive others from what they've experienced because loved people love people. We're going to use this thought of uh, forgiveness to definitely take us to a time of communion. But before we do, I just want to give us one quick application, like I've already said. Uh, we're going to uh, want to suggest one simple application for you this morning as we head into this new year. Whether you want to call it a resolution or not, you don't have to call it a resolution. I know some of you don't like resolutions, but just call it an area of growth. As you look at these six things, which would be one that you would say, in this coming year, that's an area where I want to grow spiritually because I want to contribute to the love of God in this community as this church. And when I grow in this area and I receive it from others, I'd encourage you to pick which one it is and as these next two weeks go by, to do more than that, to actually tell someone in, in your, a group that you're with, if you're in a midtown community, talk about it. What are the areas that you want to grow so that you have someone else who's joining you in that journey? And then I would encourage us as you start the year to just do a simple word search of that search. So say it's compassion. You just go to Bible Gateway and type in compassion in the search bar and you'll get all the verses on compassion. And just during this year, Make the study of compassion or whichever of these virtues sticks out to you be something that you're going to continue to seek God about and seek personal growth in. But let's end this morning by remembering, of course, how God has loved us, that he loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. When he was with his disciples, speaking of loved people, loved people, he said, no one, he says, no one has greater love than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what he did. He laid down his life for us. We're never going to experience any greater love of God than what we're rem remembering when we take communion. That Jesus was willing to die for us and he would and forgave us that million dollar debt so that we could be transformed by the way that he's loved us so that then we could love others with his love. So as we take communion, I really would encourage you to reflect on the, the depth of God's love for you. As we sing these songs, let's reflect on the depths of God's love for us and how much he's forgiven us 
And let's let that then motivate us to be the type of people that can practice these virtues, motivated by how he has loved us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've loved us. We pray that as we take communion now, as we sing these songs, that things would get from our head to our heart, that our heart would know today that you love us, and, and we'd be transformed by that love in a way that allows us to, to have different types of relationships because we're growing in these virtues and we're treating each other as you have treated us. Speak to each individual person and show them which, where, which place to grow in this coming year. Uh, we entrust you uh, to be the one that leads us as we worship. Speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.